Welcome to the Crown City Podcast. I'm your host, James DePietro. From Pasadena, California, this is a show about building a community for all and how we make our neighborhoods our home. And this is a very special episode of the, of the show. And we were talking about this before as you walked in because it is the 50th episode of the show. It's the first at Pasadena Media. And then it's also for the third most important thing is that I have a great guest. Oh, so I have, I have Jacob Cutant from Nation of Products. products. Yep. Thank you. And so I thought we would just jump right into it. Right on. Okay. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you very much for making the time. And we're going to talk about this during the course of the conversation, but I'm also a customer of yours. So when I knew you were coming on, I went out and bought as much product as I could that was relevant to me. And we're going to be talking about beard care and just kind of healthy living and wellness. So to get us started, I thought we would talk about you growing up in Pasadena because you're from here. Mm-hmm. You live in West Covina now, but you're from Pasadena. So what was like growing up and kind of share a little bit about your background? Okay. So yeah, I grew up in Pasadena. You know, for anybody that knows Pasadena and Altadena are very close together. And I grew up right in between the two. I went to elementary school in Altadena, lived in Pasadena. So I was back and forth every day. Childhood was cool. Everybody knew everybody. And yeah, it was cool. It was cool. I learned a lot here. I was challenged a lot for sure. I think a lot of what I brought into my business and even prior into music came by way of all of the inspiration that I found in the city, just being an only child and being an explorer and an engineer in my own mind. I could see now looking back how I got to where I am because of the things that came up along the way and the opportunities that came about in this city. As early as being in this JPL program in third grade, this science academy, I could see just how much that played into how meticulous my mind and attention to detail is today. Yeah. Well, you have a really interesting story. Who are some early mentors of yours that were really important? These could be academic, professional. That's a loaded question. Interestingly, I'm going to shout out, especially since this is the the Crown City podcast, I am going to shout out Miss Hammond. She was my math teacher. I think of her often. She actually recently passed away, but there have been countless times that I've been working on my business and thinking to myself like, wow, I probably would have had to outsource this, but I'm really breaking this math down or I'm really figuring this out or reverse engineering it. And I think back to my math teacher, Miss Hammond, she was black and for whatever reason, she took a liking to me and a couple other black students in her class and she stayed on me. And during my younger years, like many kids, we would think like, why are we learning this Algebra 2, pre-calculus, we're never going to use this in life. But what I learned was it wasn't so much what we were doing those days in pre-calculus, but it was all the work we had to show, all the basic arithmetic that really stuck and it really ingrained basic math into my mind. And it's amazing how that shows up in my life from day to day. So I got to give her credit first as an elder and ancestor, first and foremost. And then beyond that, Besides like my mom, most of my mentors were distant and digital and in my own mind. Everybody from Bob Proctor to, dang, if I'm thinking music, it really depends on what we're talking about. Whether we're talking spiritual, whether we're talking music, whether we're talking entrepreneur, there's so many, there's so many people that it's a loaded question. It is a loaded question because we pick out so many different things from different people. Yeah. And it all kind of comes together to make 
who we are. So yeah, I understand it's a complicated question. It is, it, it, it very much is. Currently, I'm very tapped into, there's a podcast I love called The Social Proof Podcast, mm. and it's hosted by David Shans and Donnie Wiggins, and I'm very, I listen to them almost every day while I'm working, because they're entrepreneurs like me, they're very candid with how they speak, and they show just how human they are, you know? They're doing great things, but they're very much human, and I feel very connected to that, so. I look at them as mentors and somewhat like distant family, even though I haven't met them. But again, it's such a loaded question. I pull inspiration from my peers all the time. So, yeah. So you went to Cal Poly Pomona mm -hmm. and earned your degree in international business and marketing. So what did you want to do as a career when you were in college? So when I went to college, when I was 18, I honestly, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was really into computers at the time. And because of that, I decided to go to Cal Poly. Prior to that, I was gonna go to Cal State Northridge just because I honestly didn't even have a grounded reason as to why. But I got into computers, a good friend of mine, he got me into computers and at the time, based on the limited information I knew, Cal Poly Pomona seemed like a good school to go to. So I chose uh, computer science. And when mm -hmm. I started orientation, I immediately realized that, okay, computer science is a little deeper than <laughs> I was desiring to go. So I stepped out of that and I chose marketing more as just like a, I'm gonna pick this for now and think about it, yeah. but my heart was still very much in music. So I was studying marketing. I probably paid attention to about half the classes I was in. Other half, again, I was young. I was dozing off in class, just trying to get through. And I was taking music classes on the side and those classes really felt like home. So honestly, I was like most kids, just trying to figure it out and figure out where my place was gonna be at that time. Let's jump into Nature Boy. So the story of Nature Boy goes back to almost 10 years now, mm -hmm. so in 2014, uh, when you had your own issues finding products for your beard. So what problems were you having at the time? I was growing my facial hair. Again, I grew up in a single parent household. There was no dad present. And I was, again, like in college, I was doing what I thought was best day by day. So I started to grow my facial hair out. And I assumed at the time that how my hair looked when I got out the shower was how it looked all day. And I know, I just, when you get out, it's all nice and wet. And I'm like, okay, yeah, we're good. And I remember a coworker of mine at the time, she was like, oh, can I touch your beard? And I was like, sure. She said, oh, wow, it feels like burlap. And she was just intrigued by it. But you know, that took me back a bit like, okay, burlap's a little on the rough side. So yeah. that made me want to look into products and see what I could find. And at the time, beard products were almost non-existent. They were out there, but they were harder to find. I know my barber, he had a product that he had sourced from a guy on the East Coast and then he eventually made his own blend. So mm -hmm. I went to him and I started asking him questions about mixing your own product and where you source your oils from. So those things combined and going to the beauty supply store and realizing there was no products there. Like the lady, she looked at me and said, beard products, we don't have those. We have hair products. So being the a self-sufficient person I've always been, I just said, okay, I'm, I can just make something. Again, as a hobby, like with no, no thoughts of turning this into a business at all, just a quick solution for myself, and it worked. And Was that kind of awkward, walking to that beauty salon? Yeah. The beauty supply place, being like, yeah, I'm looking for something for me. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It was. It was very awkward because, number one, again, beard... 
I mean, think of anything that you're asking for that kind of doesn't exist. It, yeah. It's a little weird. It and is. asking about beard products and then getting that awkward confirmation back from her, seeing her face and saying, like, beard products? Like, we don't have anything like that. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sorry for asking. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go, go. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was awkward, but it also piqued my curiosity because, again, you could ask my friends whenever there's a gap that's whenever there's a gap that's where I tend to say okay what can we rig up to make this work and in this case it was a product instead of a piece of gear that's the business mind in you in, in terms of identifying the gap right because there's a problem and you need to solve it so that's the business kind of mindset so it's a carryover from kind of what you were doing all along going yeah. back to your math problems right so after 18 months of trial and error you finally founded nature boy products with beard oil number one what was that feeling like when you finally kind of settled on a recipe that worked for you? Was it like an, a eureka moment where it's like an epiphany where it's just like, this is... It was. That's, <laughs> that's exactly what it was. And you know what? When I got that feeling, I honored it. Even going back to music, whenever I would get these subtle chills, I would always honor that feeling. And at that time, even with the name, there was something about this Nature Boy process that I chose not to rush. Mm. And I remember it went from, okay, I'm just mixing an oil. Okay, this is good. Then it kind of fell to the back burner again. Then I moved closer near the mountains. And during that time where I just had time to myself, I started creating again. I was like, okay, I'm on to something. So then I started really studying it and removing the synthetic oils and putting in essential oils. So each time it felt right, I just listened to that voice. And then I started to think, okay, am I going to name this? And I said, I'll give it time. And I started thinking of all these run-of-the-mill names and I was like nah it's good it'll come to me and then the name hit me when it did and I said that's it and when I got the product I was like that's it and I thought I was going to launch about 10 or 12 times because I was excited about it but this was less of a business venture and more of in something I, I felt needed to be impactful at the time black-owned businesses had a, a bad stigma kind of cloud and I told myself, if I'm going to show up as a Black-owned business, that we're going to represent right. The fulfillment's going to be good. The email, the email tracking numbers are going to be hyperlinked, so you don't have to copy and pay. I wanted it to feel as legit as possible, and I felt like I could execute on every one of those ideas that I had. So when it all came down the pipeline to answer your question, it was that eureka moment. I said, okay we're ready. And when we launched, it was received. It was well received fast. Within, I think, 10 days, we got our first order. And within about 16 days, we got our first out-of-state order. And then... So what makes your products different than other manufacturers? See, that, that's that question. I don't, I can't really speak on others. Yeah. And I don't like to speak on others because I think everybody has their reasons and intentions for doing what they do. On one hand, people are going to say, okay, oil is oil. But... What for me and what resonates with me and what makes us special is this came 100% from the heart. This was not birthed as a concept for some new business venture. This was purely something that I made for myself. Mm -hmm. A friend of mine told me one day, like one day all of the skills that you've built throughout your life are going to pour heavily into one thing. And when this started happening, I felt it happening. Like even the design of the packaging was inspired by my microphone box. So I got a hot knife and cut the foam out, put it in a piece of cardboard, and I said, okay, I think I can build something like this. So 
when all of that energy came down the pipeline, it translated to the end user and they felt it. They felt me and that connection is something that I still do my best to keep very much alive to this day. And I think that's one thing I would say that makes us special. Again, I, I, I can't say, because again, the business owner over here could have a similar story. So I can't say if that separates me from them, but what what makes it special to me is the fact that there's real love in this. And yeah. our wooden products, our combs, we built these bad boys from scratch. So I would say if I was speaking business terms, our unique selling point would be our woodwork. That's what kind of gets people in the door now. Well, what is that? And then our quality product is our follow through. Mm. Yeah. From Beard Oil number one, you expanded. And so I have I brought my products from home. So we have a beard conditioner. You, you have a beard conditioner and then a balm and then soap as well. Mm -hmm. So did the expansion of the line just kind of grow organically? It is. Okay. So one by one. I, I was very, when I worked for AT&T, I was very inspired by iPhone. Saw very early what Steve Jobs and his team was doing. I said, okay, they released this phone. And again, I was with the company just before that, that iPhone came out. And I said, okay, this phone clearly could, if they wanted to, they could have made it shoot video and have flash, send picture messages and all the things, but they didn't because they knew they were ahead of the curve. So they gave you a phone that could only do a quarter of those things. And instead of giving it to you all at once, they, they stretched it out, which was brilliant. I love that idea. That's not why I did what I did, because I only I started my business with $550, and I was able to position it in a way that staged us right next to all the big dogs, which again is a blessing. Mm -hmm. So all I could literally afford to do was just put this one oil out. But at the time, I was working for a hardware store, and I was living in a tiny back house with my mom, so the bills, the overhead was low. So as money came in, my gears were going. So I said, okay, I need a bomb now because the oil is great, but I need more. My beard is filling out. What can I do? I had, I was previously working with an herbalist. So there was uh, my exposure to herbs and their benefits. So I said, okay, how can I infuse herbs into this and make it a little more hair stimulating and nourishing? So again, all of these experiences kind of just came funneling down the pipeline. So one by one, they started to, it started to just reveal itself to me, this is needed. And whenever I felt myself wanting to outsource, okay, maybe I'll look into China about a comb, it just never felt right. And the one time I almost did and got a plastic comb, I sent it to my frat brother and he said, that doesn't look like Nature Boy. And I was like, you're right. I got a little too ahead of myself. And then right in divine timing, the, my guy Jay in Oakland, he reached out to me and said, I noticed you don't have a comb. I wanna help you with that. And he worked with Wood, so I learned a lot from him and we just connected. Like our like nerd brains just synced up and within six months we designed the comb and we when we launched that comb, I wanna say it broke the, the little micro internet we had. People's minds were like, what is this? And even still to this day is the response we get. We're living at a time where a lot of us are a lot more intentional about what we use and what we buy. Mm -hmm. And having something that you've kind of proprietarily put together, you've tested out and you're really happy with the product and then having something that you actually hand make, I mean, it speaks to a lot of us that want something that's a little bit artisan, something that, that's a little bit special. Mm -hmm. So why was having handmade products, why was that really important to you? 
It's kind of, so there's two answers to that. One, it worked out because again, that's all I could afford. Two, again, I come from a very makeshift. My mom, she's a general contractor and but we didn't have the most money. So when we when something wasn't sitting right in the house, she would just build a solution. She was very self-sufficient. She is, she's still alive. And that rubbed off on me. And you could ask again my colleagues in music, we crafted a great sound, but it sounded like it came out of a professional studio because I just reverse engineered. Okay, this is what it needs to be. How do I get there with what I have? So it was partially my own eagerness and feeling like, okay, this can get done, which kind of also became a trap because then there's this big heavy thing on my shoulders that I just did myself before I brought others in. But then there is that knowing that with handcrafted work, there's a connection there. It's almost spiritual. Even if you don't know what's happening, you could feel it. You could feel the emotion behind it. If you get to meet the owner, you get just something special about interfacing and talking with the owner that just connects with everything going on. We're still, when you strip it all away, we're people at the end of the day and we need each other. And there's times I've been walking places. I remember going into a barbershop and this guy hopped up like, hey, and I was like, hey, I didn't know what it was. It was in Pasadena. I didn't know if I knew him from back in the day, but he was just like, I got your brush, man. I love your brush. Keep doing what you're doing. And I was like, hey, I appreciate that. So that love hits different from something that is where the degrees of separation between a large factory and the purchaser, it's that void there. But when people can connect with what's going on, they see you working on it, they see the love you put into it, and then they love it too, because that matters. If they get the product and they don't like it, then it kind of just... Just, yeah, I respect what you're doing, man. But but when they actually enjoy it too, then it's a full circle. Again, it's like good music. Dang, I see what you're doing and I really like how this sounds. It That's the best feeling. You're like the literal face of the product. Because we, when we buy the product, we, we see you and we're, we want to kind of have the same kind of same experience that you're having with the product. Mm. And one of the things that I thought was interesting, we were, we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, was that I really enjoy your website because when you're buying something, when you're on the site, you get little notifications mm-hmm. that someone else has bought something mm-hmm. from somewhere else. Yeah. And I don't know, I don't think I've seen that as effectively done as that, mm. but it's cool because you're like, oh, someone's buying beard oil in Bethesda, Maryland, or yeah. someone's buying, someone just bought a comb from Dallas, Texas. And it, it really kind of shows you the impact that you've had across the country. It's not yeah. just a local thing. It's, it's You've expanded it in a really organic, really careful way. Yeah. What kind of marketing strategies have you found them to be most effective? Over, is, I mean, is it Instagram? Is it other things that you, have really worked for you? Yeah, so now I feel like just the weight and the pressure of it all. It's like you get too much information and it just kind of paralyzes you. When it was... When I was young and fresh and just ready to run out the door every day, again, it was very organic. It was Instagram was my main driver. I had Facebook as a secondary and a very well-built website. Shout out to Tiffany Hills. I should have told her I was doing this. You can tell her now. And a, hey, Tiff, I hope you're watching. <laughs> and a very built website. That was our first site before we migrated over to Shopify. So mm-hmm. there was good branding. There was good representation. And then there was just guerrilla, just get out and work. And... 
colleagues told me early in, you need to focus on Facebook ads, it'll change your life. And we were doing so well organically at the time, I was like, I think we're good. Again, getting in my own way. Then Instagram changed its algorithm in like late 2018. And oh my gosh, it was, it, our sales took a blow. Like it really, yeah, it took a hit. So then we had to embrace advertising. So marketing now, it's still very much social media focused. There's a lot of email campaigns that we do, which we do very carefully. We try not to spam. Sometimes I'll write in my own voice and just keep it very personal, like a standard Gmail email. Sometimes we have our well-curated emails that go out. Those are good. It really, I've learned that it has to be an ecosystem of things that are at work. There's the social media aspect. There's the different platforms of social media. Some will say stick to one and master that. But it's this FOMO bug that just gets to me sometimes when I see, wow, look at what's happening on TikTok but I only have this much bandwidth and you want to pay people to do it, but your budget's like right here. So, you know, it's this delicate dance. I heard uh, Damon John say like being choked by the float, Mm. like when you're trying to float, but it's choking you and you can't stop because then your bills will go crazy. So it's, it's such a delicate dance. I don't even know if I answered the question directly. I think you did. Yeah, you did a very good job with that. I have a really wild beard. I grew it out Me a little too, bit longer. Yeah, it's all good. Yeah. It's all good. I, I grew it out a little bit more for this conversation. Usually it's a little bit tighter. But as someone who has a beer like mine, you know, how, because a lot of what you do is education, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I try. And you do a good job. Thank you. A lot of people don't know what they should be doing. Yeah. And what products they should be using. Yeah. So a lot of it's just educating people on what, what works. So how should I be taking care of my beard and my, and my face? So uh, I would stay first start simple. Don't compare yourself. That sounds cliche, but it's true. Like, don't compare yourself to the next guy first. Sit that out the way. You know, get inspired, but don't feel like you got to keep up. And then I say start simple. I tend to ask, if I'm talking directly to somebody, I'll ask questions like, what do you currently use? And I have to remember every day that I might have been doing this for a while, but the guy that I meet tomorrow, this might be his first time using products. So the artist in me gets very tired of doing the same thing. And I have to remind myself that this is a business where there's a constant conveyor belt of people. Yeah. So I would first ask, what do you use? If nothing, I would say, okay, based on where your beard is, if it's short, just start with oil. Start with the oil. Is your, do you experience itch? Yes or no? If so, just start with the oil. Use a little bit. See how that goes. Mm-hmm. If your beard is a, a little more full or a little more out there, I would say, okay, there's a conditioner, there's an oil, and there's a balm, and here's how they differ. It's not just here, buy all these products just because they're kind of different, but I want you to buy them all. They all serve a unique purpose. The conditioner softens better than any of the other two products, and it's water-based, so it's going to add that added softness and that added moisture because putting oil on a dry beard is just a dry, oily beard, so you're going to need that water element. The oil is that that lightweight sealant that's just enough to kind of get the job done, especially if your beard is cut low and then the balm is that powerhouse for, again, longer, fuller beards that need to keep their style intact and to lock the moisture in longer if it's really hot weather or even if it's really cold or if it's windy, it just keeps it all pulled together. Mm -hmm. So if we, depending on the time I would have with the person, we would get very thorough with, 
are very detailed about the process and kind of go from there. It's really interesting because I've never used, I've used beard oil before, but I've never liked it because I didn't know I had to put the conditioner on beforehand. Okay. So like you even saying that was like, because I haven't put, I haven't used really products in a long time. Having you kind of educate me mm-hmm. is really helpful because I'm. I wouldn't thought that you just put the oil on, but then, like you said, then you just end up with the oily beard, and no one told me that you need a conditioner beforehand because yeah. you know to lock in the moisture. So that's really interesting. So, do you currently use the oil? I don't. Okay. Because I was afraid of it because I didn't like how it felt. Okay. But I didn't know that the conditioner. I had to put the conditioner on beforehand. See. That's the whole, new. This is the whole point of this podcast is to get that question answered. Mm-hmm. This is why we're here. Right on. I appreciate that. You've been very honest and shared that make the focus more on healthy habits yeah, and not just on the vanity aspect of this. But you're creating something very special with your beard care line mm-hmm. and the accessories. And it's more than just the products. It's kind of the experience that you're kind of creating. Yeah. And it's like you said, it's, there's, a, there's something that's very special and, and truthful about cliches. But I mean, it's like, an experience, can you really get an experience from just a balm? But you really can. So kind of what did you want, what do you want your customer's experience to be when they open a product of yours? Okay, that's a good question too. So that the answer to that morphs as time goes on or it evolves, but it's still true at its core. When I started and when I got it all wrapped, because we used to even wrap our products with in plastic like uh like cologne, I wanted guys to feel the way our women feel when they buy perfume or when they get something special. I wanted guys to have that moment of, oh, look what I got. Just kind of that excitement to just kind of light them up. And for the people that buy for them, whether it be their parents or partners or whoever, to get that sense of fulfillment too. Okay, I got you a good gift that you like. Cause you know, most yeah. guys be like, yeah, that's nice. Thank you, I appreciate it. <laughs> but to really see them light up was just a cherry on top. Yeah. The product was solid, but I said, okay, we're since we're onto something good, let's take it all the way there. So I think at the core of that, it's having something special. It has mm. to be functional first, something that's right. functional, something that works. That's, I never lost sight of that, has to work. But, you know, if we can wrap it nice without too many bells and whistles and find a good 80-20 balance or so, then let's do that and let's keep that same energy as we go. And as we continue to grow, I think the common value in that still exists. Quality needs to be there. The uniqueness needs to be there. That hand-touched feeling needs to be there. If we have to go the route where we have to bring on mass producers, and again, we laser engrave all our stuff too. So mm-hmm. I know I can see the difference now between something that was run through a mill. That's where the term run of the mill comes from. <laughs> just, where something is just run through a process and the engraving isn't quite as dialed in. And then when that engraving is crisp and clean. And I know those things can take time. But to keep true to that as much as possible is very important to me without being a jerk. But... I see now why people that are dialed in, like the Kanye West and everybody who just know what they want Mm. and people who are, again, degrees removed can say, oh, he can be a jerk. No, he just, he knows what he wants and he knows that it's doable. And I have to continue to allow myself to be that person to say, okay, even if you don't see it, I can see it, I can feel it. And this isn't perfection, this is just the vision. So 
trying to keep that alive as much as possible tends to translate to the other side and it pings back. So you make the products and then you also make the, the combs as well. Yeah. What's the most fulfilling part of the process for you? Hearing back from people. Mm. Like there was an email where um, a lady said, when I found your company, honestly, it brought me to tears. She said, when I seen it was black owned, I couldn't help but feel proud. I felt that. When I get a larger space, I'm probably gonna print and frame some of these too. The feedback that I get, hands down, is probably the most fulfilling part of what I do. And being able to support my family, I say that with an asterisk because it's, it gets hard sometimes. It, sometimes it's too much. Supporting the family is too much for the young business. But being able to support the family, being able to expose people to a first-generation business with potential to be so much more. Even hearing my son say, I don't think I want to start a business. Just allowing him to navigate those emotions and just have the faith that when he gets older, he'll make his own decisions. He doesn't have to do it by all means. If he wants to do whatever, play sports, that's fine. But just creating that option for him is all of those things are, they get me up every day. Well, you talked about this a little bit, but uh, your packaging is really simple and elegant. Mm -hmm. It's funny because I was on your website first before I knew the story behind why your your kits are in foam. Mm -hmm. And the first thing I saw, thought was, this is how audio equipment is presented, or that's what, how mm -hmm. audio equipment's shipped. How important was the packaging to you? Yeah, the, like, the packaging, so again, this I, I approach this as an artist. Like again, I was not the business guy. I have some acumen there. There's, there's, there's definitely a, a spark there. My colleagues will attest to it, but the packaging, I spent as much time on the packaging as I did the product because again, it was another form of expression for me and the ability to be a detailer. But the packaging was very important and I wasn't gonna launch until that was right, just mm -hmm. like the product. It just, it, it had to make sense and again, it's not, perfect thing it's a there it is thing because it wasn't perfect yeah i had to source that foam from a case company that made cases for like guns and cameras and they didn't do product packaging and when i asked them if they can do it they said no that's kind of out of our league and i said okay what if i just ordered a really big slab of foam for a case that can hold 40 of these little bottles and it's like yeah i guess we can do that so i ordered it Cut it up. And again, it was just, as the light bulbs were lighting up, I'm saying, okay, this is it. And it, it, like you said, it came from looking down at my mic box. And before that, it was a bunch of crazy ideas. It was like, okay, I had the name, Nature Boy. Maybe I'll put some fake grass in, but I was like, nah, that's not gonna work. Then I would wake up the next day with another idea. And I was out of ideas and I was sitting there, I was working on a mix for a film and TV project. And I looked down at my microphone box and now that's when it hit me and I was like, okay. Sorry, microphone, I had to cut that up. <laughs> and the man, the foam, I know I'm going to a lot of detail, but I love it, it all matters. Please. The foam had to match that same, which I learned was polyester, not polyurethane, not polyether, but polyester charcoal foam. It had to match the foam that came in that AKG box. Mm -hmm. I searched high and low and I found a lot of foams that were a little more dull or 
like squishy, but didn't have those open cells that had that shimmer to it. Mm-hmm. I found one company that had it and it was polyester foam. And I said, I need that. That's what I need. Cause that matches what I have. And then from there it just grew. And then when we made the box, it just morphed into that. And that was like, I think packaging is so underrated. It's so underrated. And this kind of goes back to your Apple comment. And when you buy an Apple product, the packaging is just impeccable. But like I bought something from Microsoft the other day Mm -hmm. and the tape is slightly off (laughs) and the stuff doesn't line up correctly. And it, packaging matters. It does. And because it it shows how much care you put into the product. Mm And when I opened up that Microsoft product and the tape's kind of bent and stuff doesn't align, you're like, am I good at this product as much as, I mean, it's, it's kind of superficial, Yeah. but it, it just shows the kind of the care that goes into it. And so I really love that how much care you put into your packaging. Yeah, I appreciate that. So you're a committed partner and a father. You talked about having a son. Yeah. How does being a family man impact how you are as a business person? It gets hard. <laughs> it's, it's, it's rewarding and it's hard at the same time. I look at a lot of my peers in my algorithm, I'll say, because I'm sure there's much many more of us than I'm exposed to. When I see a lot of my peers in the entrepreneurial space, a lot of them are younger and not all of them have children. And that's not to say that, oh, I'm the exception, because I know plenty of entrepreneurs with kids. I shared a, a workshop with another entrepreneur that had a child and it's... It is a challenge to passionately and presently show up for all the things, for myself, for my family, for my lady, for my son, for my business, for my other endeavors. It's, it is a challenge, but it is a challenge that I willingly accept because just like everything else, it feels doable. It, it doesn't feel like a battle that I can't win. It just feels okay something to navigate. There's different personalities. And even when we brought in people to come and work for the business, there's understanding different personality types. Everybody's not a carbon copy of me. Everybody's different. Do I have the capacity or how can I expand my capacity to be okay when somebody feels a little different about something? And I think that mirrors across the board. My Mm -hmm. son wants me to be present with him. I got to disconnect from the business. That's hard to do when it's something that I care about. If this was just some product I was just doing, it'd be easier to just automate and separate from. But it has its challenges, but it rewards me the same day. It's like a challenge reward roller coaster. Ooh, ah. it's a cyclone, and if I'm not careful, it can become unhealthy because I can see how people can get stuck here in the risk-reward zone. So there's definitely a healthier version of this that I'm learning I have to be smart enough to evolve out of for my own health, for the continued maximization, is that a word? Maximization Mm -hmm. of my family, of everything. Because I could run that risk of being that jack of all trades thing with the family being one of the trades and relationship being one of the trades. It's a process. It's a process. And it ebbs and flows. And it's hard to turn off. Yeah. Because I work for a family business and I have a family at home as well. Mm -hmm. And it's like, how do you, how much, you're constantly asking yourself, how much time do I put into this 
versus that. Yeah. And it's, do I work for my family or do I work for my business? But it's, it's, so it's all these different micro decisions they have to make every single day. And it's hard and it gets overwhelming. Yeah. Would you have any advice for me that I could take? I, I was going to ask you for the same. <laughs> do you have any advice for me? Oh, man. Um, you go first, bro. No. I have four kids. Hey, yeah, see? Yeah. You're ahead of me. You're either smarter or I'm, either you're smarter or I'm smarter. I don't know. I don't know how it goes. But it's hard. And I haven't found the right recipe yet. Okay. It's a work in progress. And I think that's what parenting is, right? It's mm-hmm. a work in progress. For sure. Our parents didn't get it right the first time or the second time or the third time. No, we're not going to get it the first, the first, second, third time. So I think we, I think the only advice that is, that I'm trying to live it because I'm not a very good spokesperson for my own methods, but it's to be comfortable with how you're parenting and just to let the process kind of play out mm. and not be so hard on yourself. Because mm. I think we're so high strung. Yeah. You want to do it perfectly. You have all these different people and places and experts telling you what to do, how to do it, where you're like, you need to figure out what's best for you and mm. for your child. I feel that, man. And so I, I don't know if there's any advice for from you. I'm certainly looking for every advice I can as a parent, as a father. Man, I just got to take in what you just shared with me. I just got to keep that in my pocket. Let me, can I come back to that? Yeah, let's yeah, do it. Because I felt that, man. What kind of legacy you talked about with your, with your son that he wants to maybe not doesn't want to become a business person like you are, mm-hmm. but is kind of focused on sports. But what kind of legacy do you want Nature Boy to be that you want to pass along to him? Mm. What kind of example? That's a good question. Partially, I think that answer is still revealing itself. Yeah. Um, I've learned to be okay with not crystallizing that. I wish he was here to answer that question. But if I had to say... I think both Nature Boy and myself being the closest physical representation of it or human representation of it would be for him to know what uh, persistence and discipline and creating an idea and bringing it out looks like. Mm -hmm. I would want him to know what options and possibility looks like what working with other people looks like, which again, I learned from him. He's very much like his uncle Yancey. They're very, they're a lot more communal than I am. So there's things that I've worked into the business just watching him just be a young human being. So I think there's a lot of him already in it. I just want to do a good job, be a good steward to what I'm building so that one, of course, there is some type of financial benefit that I can create for him. Two, an option, again, I emphasize option, if he feels inspired to be a part of it when he gets older, that he has that ability to have an option to work for the family business or not. And the rest, I kind of just give up to God and just say, he'll pull down those gems as he goes and as he sees, because he shares things with me that I didn't even realize he was paying attention to. And then we go from there. Yeah. You're a small business owner, and do you think we do enough to support small businesses, especially businesses of color here in Southern California? Okay. So I want to say, oh, that's a loaded question. So I think back to the pandemic when we lost our brother George Floyd and everything kind of got 
we pretty much got put on Front Street, Black-owned businesses were everywhere. We were trending. We were a trending topic. Went up and, and kind of simmered down like crypto did. And that was great when it, that was a ride for sure. I think, I'm kind of all over the place with this answer, but there's some truth here. I think, I believe in, again, doing, when you do good work, you're going to get the support that you earn. And I have an asterisk by that because we also, as business owners, don't know what we don't know. Mm -hmm. And I can be doing all the right things, but not realize there's a resource next to me to probably expand what I'm doing far greater than what it is. But because I just don't know what I don't know, I might be missing the mark. So I want it. Part of me wants to say, yeah, there's always more that people can do. But I also understand that people have their own lives. They have their own interests. Everybody has their own stuff going on and the ways in which people connect with businesses these days, it's like a competition for attention. So I get how hard it is. I understand that, again, it's just like when music became DIY and home and the, mm -hmm. the barrier to entry was lowered, it got saturated and some people understood, okay, if my music's good, You'll listen when you do, or people would get upset. Hey, man, how come you're not listening to my stuff? But it's, they kind of don't owe you their ear, mm -hmm. and people don't necessarily owe me. They don't owe me. They, they, I'm, they're not in, required to purchase from me because I'm black. People tend to show up because we're doing a good job and we happen to be black. So I very much believe in earning your stripes. So. Somebody else may have a better answer. And I, again, I hold space for that because I get so stuck in my engineer seat of working that I can miss what can be done. But that's where I embrace my activist counterparts that know how to say, hey, look over here at what's going on. I'm just trying to do my best to do what I do best. But yeah, that's my answer. It's a little bit of both. It's a great answer. Thank you. One of the many goals of this show is to kind of create a community and to bring people together. Mm -hmm. So this show started in the summer of 2020, like going back to what was going on in 2020 in the mm -hmm. summer of 2020. And because there was so much anger out there and there was so much fear out there, mm -hmm. the whole point of the show was to kind of see if we could make a space, a comfortable space, a safe space for people to kind of have conversations. Mm -hmm. What community have you found by creating Nature Boy? I've found, that's a good question. I've found, like, I, I, I want to find a better term than, like, regular guys because we're, we're all extraordinary in our own way. But the dynamic between music and Nature Boy was very refreshing, and it grounded me. It kind of made me more human in music. But I found a network of men that I felt like I was connecting with at their core. It wasn't the egos or it wasn't who we're trying to best present ourselves to be in this arena of this endeavor we're pursuing. It was just like, hey, I'm Rick and I got a little itch in my beard, man. And you know, I'd tell them, I would ask them a couple questions and then through that they'd be like, man, that's what's up. I appreciate you, bro. Like it felt very down to earth. So I feel very connected to the heart and spirit of guys. And because of that, I, I don't abuse that. It's so it's, I know you didn't ask that, but that's that always comes out. There's a certain level of uh, trust that's there, and it feels very 
special. And it almost feels like it's incubating because mm. again, social media is so crazy now. I don't know if half these guys have even thought about Nature Boy in the past year or so, but I know that energy's there because every now and then somebody will come back around. Hey man, I'm still rocking with you. So first I feel like I've tapped into a network of men. Second, I feel like I've tapped into the life partners of these men because mm. people that gift these men love what they see and they're like, hey, this is going to be a great gift. So they're pleased and they may not even be using the product. So it feels like I've connected with the extensions of people as well, the families, mm -hmm. other small business owners that say, hey man, your branding is great. I would love to work with you. It really feels like being on the other, like I said, the other side of the fence, on the music side, we were trying to reach out to everybody. And on this side, it's, the emails come in and it can sometimes be like a blur at times, but it's a blessing to be in that space of trust, I would say, through consistency. With your success, when you think about the next year, the next five years and beyond, I don't know if you think that far, but far. Uh, if we don't, if, maybe if you don't, maybe you don't, <laughs> you don't want to. But what is your vision for Nature Boy? Oh man, the the, the child in me wants to say I don't know, but that's just that, <laughs> that's, that's just because that question always paralyzes me. But if I take the anxiety away from that question and I think about it. I see us continuing to do what we're doing, but on a larger scale. Mm -hmm. And I want to say with a lot less stress, but I still know that stress tends to evolve right along with the process. So I first and foremost want to be able to reach more men that are trying to improve their facial hair with a lot more ease. I do think that ease is possible. I know that I embrace the hard work. I know that's there. I know that the stress is gonna come, but I do also believe in a more efficient way of doing things. Mm. So that's what I see first and foremost. Tighter infrastructure first. It's very internal, it's very inside. Tighter infrastructure, operating a lot more lean. Again, this is kind of internal jargon, but those are the, that's the frameworking for a successful business on the outside and really being able to deliver on a lot of the promises that I just have floating, that there's so many ideas, there's so many things that I wanna birth that I've just been saying, nope, it's not the time, it's not the time. And it's not hoarding, it's just understanding that I've tried it, I've, I had a podcast idea in 2017, mixing music and beers. It was great. I did it one time. I was ahead of the curve and it was just too much to continue. Yeah. It's really being able to build up and build out like a tree. And I also, to add to that, I think I need to meet with other entrepreneurs like you more and have these conversations more so that my thoughts can get a little sharper so that I can answer this question a lot more right down the middle. That's just being <laughs> candid and being honest. But uh, yeah. It, yeah. Once you say it, you have to do it, right? So it's, yeah. there's some, there's some uh, accountability with actually sharing the, the ideas mm -hmm. and not just keeping them in your head. So you grew up in, in Pasadena. Yes. And you live and work in West Covina, which is part of the San Gabriel Valley. Mm -hmm. So this is the question that I ask every guest at the end of the conversation, okay. which is we can, we can expand it to we can keep it to Pasadena or we can expand it to West Covina or San Gabriel Valley, however, however you want to do it. Okay. So if you could design a perfect day in Pasadena, West Covina, et cetera, from breakfast to late night, what oh. would you do, where would you go, and what would you eat and drink? 
Oh, that's a tough one, man. So much has changed. I'm thinking about Pasadena. My taste buds have evolved so much. I got my <laughs> boy to thank for that. <sighs> okay. I'd wake up early still. I'd go to the gym at 530. I would start there, which isn't in Pasadena. But if I let's let's run with this if I'm in Pasadena thing. Okay, that works. I'd exercise with my bro, Yancey for sure. He's He's a phenomenal yoga teacher, so I definitely follow his lead because it's always a little more challenging than I would like for it to be. And because of that, I trust him. I start there just honoring that need to exercise because that just that straightens me out. Food wise, I probably cook something light. I've embraced meat again, so I'd probably cook some lean, boneless, skinless chicken breast and maybe a an egg or two and some veggies, just very lean. You say, okay, food, and then what would I do? I would tend to my business, for sure, respond to emails, see how sales are coming through compared to today, last year, do all the, the do's of the business things. That alone would take me about 10 minutes to run through, but I would honor that first because it's a lot harder to do as the day goes on. Do all the things, run through the fulfillment process, make sure our orders can get fulfilled and things like that. And let's, if this was like, let's say a, a leisure day, uh, I, I, man, I don't know. If I was just having a good time without the work, I'd... It's a harder question. It's a hard question. There's so many things. Like I would probably say, hey man, let's go. There's a rock climbing gym out here that he's taking me to. I forget the name of it, but it's on Fair Oaks. Again, when I'm, whenever I'm so not too many people that I know, actually I do know a lot of people that still live out here, but when I come out here to hang with them, I'm usually with my good friend and I tend to lean on them like, well, what do you guys want to eat? Because again, there's that trust there. So that's just, that's a moment for my mind to relax a bit yeah. and not have to, because you'd be surprised how hard it is to think about food. That's almost as hard as a business decision. No, I know. I mean, as a parent, I feel like like 90% of what I worry about is what I'm going to serve for dinner. Yeah, it's a real thing. I, <laughs> I, I spend a considerable amount of time trying to scale that down and make it easy. That's almost like a, it's a whole thing. Yeah. So when I'm with them, I'm like, hey, man, what y'all doing? Don't ask me, man. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, but I'd probably run it past my friends and see what they're doing. Um, I, I, I don't know. If, I was this, if this was the younger me, I'd probably say Roscoe's or something like that. But now... There's so many different options up here. I'd honestly feel better kind of leaving it up to just the spont spontaneity, spontaneity. Uh, uh, yeah, of the moment yeah. and just saying, like okay, it. this is a chill day. Let's see what's out of my normal routine of yep. cooking lean and staying within my macros because I practice that very faithfully. And then, I don't know, I'd probably either go to the beach, which again isn't in Pasadena, doesn't um, have to be in Pasadena. Okay. I want to go to the beach, go to the beach. Yeah, I go to the beach. I'd probably ride around. I want to kind of keep it in Pasadena, though. I'd probably try to make time to connect with people I haven't seen in a while. I got a good friend, Nate, that has a business. He has a shop up on Washington. I'd probably go and see him. I'd probably connect with a couple of artists and producers I haven't seen in a while. I'd probably drive up to see my auntie. I haven't, I haven't done that, like a, a ride around the city and see people since my son was five. So it'd probably a day, be a day like that. Okay, let me spend two hours or so and just pop by and see people in. I love that. That's probably what the day would be in the city. And I'll probably drive by the street I grew up on and make it a day. And then if I feel like getting creative, 
the music, then I will. But if I don't, I'm not gonna force it. That's a good question, man. Cause it's a small city, but there's, when you ask that, it's so much stuff that comes to mind. There's, maybe I go to that museum. Maybe not, I don't know, I don't know. We're a very big, small city. Yeah. And there's a lot to do. Absolutely. Where can people find you, follow you, buy your products? Natureboyproducts.com. Is this a look in the camera moment? I don't know which one to look in. Natureboyproducts.com, that's our central hub. That's our website where you can buy the products. I would just say start there and you'll find everything you need. Our email address is there, info at natureboyproducts.com. Our Instagram is there, at natureboyig. That's our primary choice of social media. I'm trying to get TikTok going. I got some ideas. Nature Boy TikTok. I'm looking at all the cameras. Just bear with me. I got. I have some things brewing, but it's a capacity thing. But that's it. And then Facebook. If you just search Nature Boy products, will come up. But primarily, it's the website and the Instagram. Okay. Yeah. Jacob, thank you for creating a company that blends your passion and skills to empower men to take care of themselves, for crafting beautiful items that instilling your values in them. Thank and you. for coming on the podcast, I greatly appreciate it. Man, thank you for having me. I, I appreciate it. Good Absolutely. Yeah. My special thanks to Jacob for coming on the show. As I shared in the beginning, this was a very special episode. When I started this little project, I never thought it would take me to the places it has. I have met the most amazing and inspiring people, and it has been an honor to bring you each and every episode of the Crown City Podcast. In my wildest dreams, I could not have imagined ever reaching 50 episodes. Thank you all for your unending support and for listening. Continuing our collaboration, the featured song is All Right Here, from the Pasadena-based wife and husband duo, The Next Doors. Please follow them on social media and at nextdoorsmusic.com. As our first episode with Pasadena Media, I wanted to thank George, Chris, Bobby, Liza, Eileen, Jeff, Terry, and Jasiri for their special guidance and assistance. For more information about Pasadena Media, please visit PasadenaMedia.org. As far as this podcast, for more information, please visit TheCrownCityPodcast.com. Until next time, please remember to stay well, create those healthy habits, and as always, I will see you around town.